Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Vine, a podcast about food and relationships. I'm a restaurant critic and food writer based in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's guest is John Kessler. Hi, John. Thanks for being here. Hey, how are you? I am good. Can you please introduce yourself to listeners who may not know who you are? Sure. So I am John Kessler, uh, currently dining critic at Chicago Magazine. Um, But I'm guessing some of your listeners may remember me from the time when I was at the AJC. Um, I was the dining critic there off and on for about 18 years. Um, And that's who I am. So let's like rewind the tape. Um, When did you know (laughs) that food was going to be a thing for you? Um, always. I was a weird ass little kid. I, you know, was kind of obsessed with food. I would make things out of my mother's Women's Day encyclopedia of cookery instead of like going out to play with other kids. Uh, I made dinner for my family when I was like seven or eight. Um, And after college and a kind of a some a job that required some travel that was fun and then a job that sounded kind of cool and important but was really boring i found myself cooking all the time and decided well this is just going to be it and i went to cooking school yeah is there is there someone in your life that when you were this young weird kid as you said that was stoking that curiosity and food like was there a family member or a friend Yeah, for sure. My mom was a really good cook, but then when I was about six or seven, she got very sick and she was in the hospital for a long time. And so it was kind of like paradise lost, you know, went from being really good food all the time to not so much. And she was kind of damaged after that and that kind of cooking for my very early years went away and i think i kind of filled it in um my oldest sister i have a sister who's 15 years older than me and she would like i was four when she went to college or three and uh but when she would come home she would always make all this kind of exotic stuff like you know i don't know greek salad (laughs) (laughs) where were you growing up by the way at the time where were you growing up i'm in a suburb of washington dc okay um so she's coming back to the suburb of washington dc like enlightening young john on all of these wonders of the world okay and she was such a good cook um my i have a middle sister too who was um so there's four of you guys i just like so you have four there are five of us five of you okay so you were a big family we were a big family and i was the baby um And I was like the, you know, I was just the absolute oops child. Like they're all a lot older than me. Right. So it was, yeah. And I you had said the, your, your middle sister as well I interrupted you. Yeah. So she was like a good cook in terms of being more of like, you know, she was an artist kind of person. So like she, she's an artist. She's a good artist. And so she was kind of more decorating cupcakes kind of a cook. So I sort of had a little bit of both sides. 
And did you, so you went to Williams, is that? Right? Yes. Yes. Yep. So you went to Williams College, but then you did get culinary training, correct? Yeah. So I went to Williams and, um, and then, you know, the first of the decisions that would, you know, you know, my parents thought was ridiculous. I uh, majored in philosophy and then uh, fits, second, de <laughs> yeah, second decision they thought was really weird was um, went to Japan after college to teach English. Um, came back home to DC and got a job in a marketing research firm with some friends of mine from college. And that seemed to be sort of on the right track, but then oops, decided I hated it and went to cooking school. And they were like, okay, well, whatever kid, you're right. You know, <laughs> you, you do, you will, we'll, you figure it out. I'm sure you'll be fine. I think and my, my siblings really helped talk my dad off the ledge on that one. So. But a lot of people, I don't think that may have followed your career, realize that you are trained in culinary arts and did work as a chef, which is yeah. increasingly rare for restaurant critics and food writers, it would seem. It is true. It's rare. And it was funny because when I was coming up, it was rare. It got to be more the norm, like, you know, you. Bill Addison, you know, Besha, I guess. I mean, a lot of other people who, mm -hmm. um, you know, who worked in restaurants and are, you know, went to culinary school. Um, and then it's become rare again. I just think it's, you know, um, I think really stylish essayists are, are the food writers now. Well, I don't think rest, I think restaurant critics have become rare as well. Oh, restaurant. Yeah. Restaurant. I mean, there's very, very few, few left of us, I think. I know. You know. And there's just like no critical writing in that sphere anymore, which is why it's, it's nice to be to do it in Chicago, because it's, um, you know, the right, the restaurant writing that's done is more like travel writing these days, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when did you start being a restaurant critic? Um, so I was, um, I, when I was in culinary school in DC, I met Arlene, um, the lovely doctoress, and she was super cool, but was about to move to Denver, Colorado to finish her training in, in kidney diseases. And so I thought, okay, well, I can go there. You know, people eat food in Denver. Um, in 1988, they ate far less interesting food in Denver than they did in DC. Um, and I worked in restaurants there for a while, but it was kind of frustrating. And the Alt News Weekly out there uh, called Westward was looking for a new restaurant critic. And I just threw my you know name out there, sent in a sample review and got the job. And so for about three years, I was working simultaneously as a restaurant cook and as a restaurant critic. And then how did you end up here? I know you like, you know, from your time at the AJC, that's when I got to know you. Um, yeah. When did you come oh. to Atlantic? I feel like that's really, you know, when you ascended, you know, I mean, I feel like, yeah. you be, I mean, like if people don't know, John was a very beloved restaurant critic here in Atlanta and, and food writer in general, because you did toggle between as we do because of sanity. Um, mm -hmm. And, and um, when did you come to Atlanta and how did you become the critic at the AJC? So that was in uh, 1997. I found myself 
after a while, I had gone from Westward to the Denver Post um, and went into food writing full time. And um, I was both the food editor and the restaurant critic there as you know, one tends to be at a smaller newspaper. Um, and um, I just found myself getting increasingly like, I don't know, frustrated with living in Denver. It was, I mean, you know, it was beautiful. I was in good shape from biking. There was great weed everywhere, <laughs> but it wasn't, um, in terms of the food scene, I, I found myself getting very frustrated there. Um, and just in terms of shopping and, you know, finding product I liked. And, um, and it was also, it's, you know, it was, it's an exciting city now, but back then it was less so. I think it's changed a lot. Um, and so we started looking around for the next place to move. And, you know, at a conference, I met um, Susan Puckett, the then food editor at the AJC. She invited me out to interview and it just felt right. So you loved let Atlanta. it versus your wife this time. Yeah, this time it was mm -hmm. me and she could find... Uh, Emory had a really good nephrology department. And so, you know, we had to go to someplace that did food and kidneys. So <laughs> that was, that was our, our Venn And did y'all have kids at this point? Because they have three beautiful daughters. Yeah, we did. In fact, she was pregnant um, at that time with our littlest, Mary. And so I had to go out first. And then um, I was like commuting back and forth between Atlanta and Denver for a few months. Mm -hmm. Like I just go to Atlanta and just like stuff my face, like you know, <laughs> go on like this reviewing eating tear, and then go back to Denver and write all the reviews. So, well, one of the things that always drew me to you when I was first starting out as a food blogger fifteen years ago, well, that's a long time, um, it was that you were different than a lot of the other critics that were out there, and you really not only found joy in immigrant cuisine, but it was like, you know, your primary objective to, to find these places, you know, demystify them for diners, but then also, you know, tell the stories. Um, why, why was that important to you? Um, well, it's very true. Um, that was, you know, one of the like tent poles of the job that I most liked, um, that I liked the most, honestly, um, because I traveled a lot and I had learned a lot and developed my palate. You know, after living in Japan, I traveled around Asia and that was just such an eye opener for me. And um, I just thought there was so much, like if you just got beyond the lens of, you know, Eurocentric white American cooking and like looked at everything that was out there. It was just, you know, it was, there was just so much more to eat and to learn. I, um, you know, my, you know, like I thrilled to new flavors. I love spice and I loved, you know, I loved thinking, I mean, even though I didn't quite have the word yet, I loved the way umami worked in Asian cooking in a different way than it did in European cooking. You know, I couldn't put my finger on it, but when there would be like a Vietnamese noodle bowl with, um, you know, fish sauce underneath, but everything was bright and crunchy, but it was very savory. I, there was something about that that just, you know, totally rocked my boat. Um, and so, I mean, it was really interesting because Atlanta at the time and like it was just right after the Olympics when I started 
there was a lot of development. All these, you know, towers are going up in, in Buckhead with like a, you know, XXX million dollar restaurant on the bottom floor. So there was a lot of fun, glamorous places to love or hate, and but to be brutally honest with, because, you know, so that was fun for the critical writing. Yeah, your writing so always much... had that entertaining aspect. It was it was always very entertaining. and and But at the same time, you gave me some advice when I was starting out that I needed to make people hungry and you always did make people hungry, you know? So like you got oh, people excited, you. you entertained, but then, you know, you made people hungry and educated, but like you were finding, you were covering those glam places, but then you had the contrast of like finding some Korean restaurant that's cooking duck in mud you know, or Claire right. or whatever. Oh my God. You remember that place? I love that place, yes. Yeah, but, you, but it was fun. You know, for me, it was really fun. And I enjoyed all of our meals together um, in the past. But but you left criticism, right? I mean, you, you left so, for a while. You took a sabbatical. I did several times, in fact. Mm -hmm. I mean, one time I left, I just needed to, and I went up to the Gwinnett Bureau and like just did general feature reporting. And like, I just remember my first assignment was, you know, going to interview the family of some girl who had died in a ski-doo, you know, accident in Lake Lanier. And I'm like, of course, Lake Lanier is just... haunted. If anyone doesn't know, people die there all the time. It's weird. Um, God, that was yes. scary. That was awful. But um, so why but I wanted did you? To be... Did you just need a break? Yeah, because I mean, you know, yeah, I did need a break. There are a couple things. I mean, it gets to be. Um, you fall into your own routine too much as a critic and you know it, it makes the eating out not fun you know um there is a lot of reader service in it and so in atlanta reader service was telling a lot of our readers lived up in you know um north fulton or in you know uh, east cobb or whatever i mean that was a huge focus for us Gwinnett. And, you know, they didn't want to hear about all the, you know, they didn't want to hear about the tofu house that had- Which is the best their... part of living there. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But they wanted to hear about the, you know, new Southern restaurant that was kind of a rip off of whatever that was in some old train depot somewhere. And, you know, and so that got a little old. Also, you know, I mean, you know me, I was never very comfortable in the role of a public figure, which I thought it was becoming a little more. I mean, I just was like, I didn't like that part just made me feel super uncomfortable. Um, I don't know. And I, could, I just wanted to keep enjoying eating more, you know? Um, and it's like, once people get to know you a while, I feel too like, you get to be friends with people. It gets to be harder to be as much on the side of the reader. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's hard not to feel like you're part of the community rather than just, you know, just like a fly on the wall. So I don't know it's hard to stay honest as a critic. Do you find that or? I, don't I mean, know. I'm not I mean, I'm doing as much criticism anymore, but I feel like I'm at the point where I'm really able to compartmentalize it. But then also at the point where picking apart pe people's creativity doesn't yeah. feel energetically right after the pandemic. I think that's why I, right. There was that. I started this, you know, as a way to help because what mm -hmm. the hell else could I do? Right. Let me tell these stories. Like people are hiring, people are struggling. Um, but now I do feel like, I think if I ever started criticism again, and I do want to talk about you taking up the, the reins again, um, I think I'd want to try and be more positive. 
Like just yeah. let's focus on the places that are good. Let, let me just, yeah. know, I, I still do love to be of service with whatever work I'm doing, you know? Yeah, that's true. And it is reader service and you do mm -hmm. want to be, you do want to add to the community. And I felt like the writing I was doing during the pandemic. I mean, I, I've been in Chicago magazine for a while and, um, you know, doing, and I was kind of doing more of the exploring kind of, mm -hmm. you know, finding, you know, cool, you know, international, you know, immigrant cooking. Um, right. But and um, cooking a lot yourself. You cook a, a lot myself. Yeah. In this like time be between, I noticed that you like dug really into cooking at home again, which is always fun because like you said, you do call from a lot of different cultures in your cooking. I mean, it's always kind of mm -hmm. wackadoo sometimes so like it's like it's like you know like it's like the world on a plate sometimes you know, it's like oh, jewish japanese a little bit Indian, <laughs> and kimchi on the side you know but you know what i'm weird i dig it but um right. but i do let's let's i do want to talk so you left atlanta which like everyone was like oh my god i can't believe it you moved to chicago um can you talk about why what happened afterwards um and then what the pandemic was like for you so we moved, um, Arlene was getting frustrated a little bit with her job at Emory. Um, there was just no room for her to go anywhere. And um, our, our middle daughter, Leah, at the time was a undergrad at the University of Chicago here. And she, Arlene went out to give a talk to their, you know, nephrology department, figured, you know, they pay her way, she could visit Leah. And they liked her talk so much, they said, you know, would you be interested in being head of the department? And that was a time too when we were, I was getting really frustrated with like, you know, the AJC was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, I was really pretty getting pretty stuck in the role of being the restaurant person because that drove the page views. Um, and, you know, it was like, you know, it went from being like the kind of paper where when, you know, we'd learn something, it'd be about storytelling or crafting words. And it, then it turned into how to write SEO headlines and how to, you know, flow copy right into the, you know, revolving thingamahoo on the, you know, on the splash page. And I was just getting really sick of that. Um, and so I was ready to get out. Chicago seemed like a really, you know, vibrant city to to land in. And so that's why we left. Um, so that was the first part. That's how we ended up here. Um, it was depressing as fuck when we got here because <laughs> it was- remember, it was like snowing. You're like, what the uh, fuck? <laughs> it was so cold. And I just like, it was so hard to meet people. And it was also like so weirdly segregated. I mean, it just made me realize what a, I mean, what a beautiful, like, spiritual place Atlanta is. I mean, People Chicago. Don't get it. Like, Atlanta is, like, so multicultural, you know? It's like it's LA. So it's becoming like LA, right? Yeah, With it is. the sprawl and the diversity. Yeah. Mm hmm. I just, like, I remember going back once and I was at Eight Arm and I just saw, like, you know, this, I don't know, this waiter there who was actually wearing grills waiting on this these old southern women and just and they were just cracking up and talking to each other and i thought oh on my Ponce god this place de Leon, right? on Ponce de Leon, right, right by you know mjq and it was a weird like, little brick building but so like yeah. such a culinary touch point um yeah yeah so 
so it wasn't like that here at all um and so that was hard um but then yeah when the pandemic happened it was also on january 20 january 1st 2020 i'm gonna be completely honest here weed became legal in chicago and dispensaries started popping up everywhere and i found out that it's you know really easy to dose yourself cleanly with the right kind of sativa that gets you up and going and it made me get out and explore and you know go on these like insanely long walks or bike rides and um and then to cook and i started you know we had a big rooftop patio that was just burning hot in the summer but perfect for container gardening and so i i was growing all this stuff and putting up tomatoes and you but know you pickles. Have a gardener too yeah, I mean, it became that way, but then it would just be this thing where like I would work during the day and then I, you know, take a gummy and when it kicked in, I would make a beautiful cocktail and look at what we had and just start creating food that felt so true to the moment, you know, and it would be something that would be like, you know, like weird sundu, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, a lot, of, a lot of tofu soup. I, I can't tell you how much tofu soup we ate during the pandemic. <laughs> I saw you posted it. It looked great. Um, but no, it's interesting that you found your way in this new city through cooking and gardening, you know, yeah, like kind yeah. of rediscovering it, you know, but Chicago is like a culinary destination. I mean, there's a lot of great cooking there, but also the James Beard Foundation holds its awards there annually, which it just restarted doing after the pandemic. Um, it's, it's become a very important culinary city and now you're one of its most important restaurant critics after this time away. Um, what, what's that like? It's, it's really different from Atlanta in a lot of ways. Um, Chicago, I, I think it's important to say that Chicago is a Michelin city. And so, because of that, it attracts a lot of culinary tourism. So we have this entire overlay of ultra-refined dining restaurants. And by that, I mean places where, you know, it's just a tasting menu only. And, um, you know, you buy your tickets through talk and, you know, generally you have to count on I, you know, at most of these restaurants, I think with food and wine and tip and everything, most meals are about $800 for two people starting there and going up to about $1,200 for two people. And so that's very expensive and that doesn't relate to too many Chicagoans, but so much of our talent is um, consumed by this world. So it's a hard thing to navigate. Um, I mean, the Tribune famously would um, review Next, which is Next is a restaurant from um, Grant Ackett's and um, Nick Kokonis, who own Alinea, which is very famous modernist three-star restaurant here. And every the idea of Next is they would change the menu every three months. And so in order to keep up with it, the <laughs> critic would go every three months. And so and it always give it four stars, but it was like, what does that have to do with what Chicagoans eat? So it's a hard balancing act. Um, Chicago is also a city because of this, there's a lot of very sophisticated technique um, service. It can be, service is very good here. You know, people learn what it takes to do. Like my youngest Mary is working in a in a wonderful tasting menu restaurant called- really? uh, Yes, she's, she's in the industry. industry. Oh my God, Mazel in yeah. a way. <laughs> 
sort of in a way. Yeah, no, you know Hey, find your purpose, girl. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Like anything. But um, but but that's interesting because that's not Atlanta. Like that no. level does not last in Atlanta. Um, so that does seem like that's different than what you were doing here. Do you find it rewarding? So yes and no, it's interesting. I think there are a lot of sacred horses to puncture here. The weird thing about Chicago and, um, you know, I get into trouble for saying this all the time and, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm not the most loved person in Chicago, which we can get into. I was going to ask of... how you've been received because I really don't know. <laughs> well, my COVID I, bubble. yeah, well, there is that article I wrote, which was uh, much we can get into in a second. Uh, you know, I sort of announced my presence here by writing this huge takedown of the Chicago restaurant scene in Chicago Magazine about right, four years ago. Right. And I didn't mean it as a takedown, but I wanted to point out that, you know, with all the fine dining in the city, there are certain things that just haven't developed here, you know, as they do in boisterous sunbelt cities like Atlanta. And it is rewarding to talk about the restaurant scene here. I find I've got to, you know, I have a great editor, um, Amy, and she and I have such a fun plan out, toward, you know, for the next few months. It's just like the way we're going from X to Y to Z with the reviews and with the, you know, I've got a couple big cover packages that I'm working on. Um, and so that is that is great. Um, I mean, I can say our next issue, for instance, is finding a, um, are exploring a, a Korea town that developed out in the suburbs and people in Chicago don't go out to the suburbs to eat, but I'm trying to make the argument that like, you know, go, <laughs> you know, you know, it's easier for, for Atlantans to get to Pleasant Hill Road in Duluth than it is for most Chicagoans to get to Glenview, right. um, Illinois. And a lot of them don't have cars, but if you want to experience this food for what it has to offer, you have to do this. So, so we did a sort of a Koreatown takeover of the entire food section for next month. So that's, I mean, that's going to be so fun. you. I mean, that's that's, so that's, that's where know, you it's... that's where you shine. I mean, so I hope that it goes well. I mean, I, I find I that so kind too. of I hope stuff. People read it. I just, it's it's so wild to me that there's cities like Chicago or like you know that my family lived in Miami for a long time that don't have these fully fleshed like asian scenes like it's just right. so weird like when my sister lived in miami we grew up going up and down beaufort highway together exploring where all the you know amazing restaurants from vietnamese and korean and mexican are in atlanta and she couldn't find anything she couldn't find one korean barbecue in miami when she lived there. oh my god yeah it's so weird and chicago you would think better but with Chicago, what was it like when you first came there? Like, how how have you been received? Um, you know, so it's never easy to be the guy coming from the South, period. Right, anywhere. I know. Everybody loves to. Yeah, they know, think like... that we're all yokels eating biscuits and fried chicken. Um, what was that like? Oh, for my you? God, that is so true. I like I remember when I'd go down to um, Oxford, Mississippi to, you know, go present at Southern Foodways Alliance. And I would tell people that they go, oh, you're going to Mississippi. I'm sorry. I'm like, what? It's this amazing. is awesome. <laughs> Are you kidding? The food there is amazing. Yes. I'm like, it's beautiful. And the people. You go to William Fogger's house and the people are so nice and they're like real. I know. It's like. But that's, but it's, you know, in a way it's like their loss, you know? I know it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But what was um, it like? So, you know, what, what it was like was at first it was very, 
you know, I'd written a couple of pieces about, um, I wrote one piece for, for SFA about uh, Southern restaurants in Chicago and how they all sort of missed the boat. And everybody here loved that. And, you know, um, all the, you know, local uh, publications started calling me after that and saying, can you write for us? That was really fun and all that. And I ended up working at Chicago Magazine and writing for them. And then I wrote this, you know, there was an editor there who had been an uh, editor at Sever native Chicagoan, lived most of his adult life in New York, moved back. And he and I were having this conversation just about how weird the restaurant scene was here. Like how on, you know, he'd lived in San Francisco and New York and just how like people didn't value fresh food here or so hard to find any good Korean or Vietnamese food. And there were so many, it was so hard to find fresh vegetables that were actually any good or to find chefs who knew- yeah, it was strange. And so we started talking and it turned into this story. Um, and that was absolutely reviled by all the other food writers in town because I think they took it that I was telling them they weren't doing their jobs well. Um, and all the chefs kind of, a lot of the chefs, people of color really had an issue with the way I talked about the, um, you know, how it was hard to find that kind of international cooking here that was really not just good, but was motivating chefs. I mean, you go to Atlanta or Houston and you see so much Korean and Vietnamese influence in the way that everybody cooks and eats now. You know, there's just yeah, so much, you know, so way you see right. Korean I mean, food is everywhere. I mean, go to, I mean, in Atlanta, go to Jang's like every menu. Everything like, is go to Jang, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I yeah, noticed so much pickle. more. A quick yeah. pickle. You know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but so remember... people gave you a hard time, you know? People but gave me the, a But the pandemic, you know, happened <laughs> after that. So I have to assume if you're still writing at Chicago Magazine that, oh, you it's know. fine. And, I, yeah. and I, I, have a, I have a tough skin for it, too. It's fine. I mean, you know, I, when I when it was announced that I was going to be the critic, you know, this guy who ran runs a local eater site immediately started brought up that article and was like, here's this, you know, freaking complainer taking over and just what we need, some old white man telling us how to cook. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude, read it or don't, you know, I don't care. So, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I think you know. know what you're talking about. You're listening to The Food That Binds. This is Jennifer Zeman and my interview with John Kessler. Just talking about criticism right now, um, <laughs> uh, about being a critic today, post-COVID, um, what is that like? You know, as a restaurant as a restaurant critic myself, as I mentioned, it's hard for me energetically to pick things apart as much as it used to be. Do I miss being a restaurant critic? Absolutely. Do I think that they're necessary? Absolutely. Like Besha Rodell who is, you know, our friend, uh, a restaurant critic mm-hmm. who works for New York Times and lives in Melbourne says, you know, like these chefs, I think, want someone that's like looking at their art, you know, in a yes, critical way. It's a it's a it's a relationship that exists for a reason. Um, what's it like being a restaurant critic today? Um, the chefs really want it. And Actually, I mean, so many chefs have reached out to me to tell me how much they agreed with things I've written, you know, under, 
they'll say, I'll, you know, I will never say this out in public. I can't, I can't tell you how many times chefs have reached out to me and say, I just want to talk to you and say, you're absolutely right with that, but I will never say that in public. <laughs> oh, it's been amazing. Um, but no, I think it's good. Chefs need it also. I feel like as a reader service, it's important because restaurants are so expensive now and they're so uneven. Like some places, and I, you've got to look at the situation. Some places have figured out, you know, the fact that, you know, the serve, you know, it's hard to find good servers. It's hard to find line cooks, you know, and they will come out with a very uneven product because of that, yet still charge the same money. Others will somehow figure out the way either by closing or by, you know, whatever they'll do, they will try and keep a consistent product. That's good. And I really think that so much of it is not like finding the places that do can cook very well, but also cook very consistently or can provide a consistent experience. And I think we have wildly inconsistent experiences now. So I think it's important, you know, I really do. Um, I don't want to go after, you know, it's not like I will review some, you know, if there's a small, like a bistro of some sort that's a labor of love and it's terrible, I don't think that's a good, you know, for a once a month review in a magazine, I don't think that's a good subject. But I mean, Jose Andres opened up some restaurants here and, you know, I've got one fair game, man, you know, and I'm, you know. Yes, and he is. If the they're saints, charging but... the money opening the doors, then I guess it is fair game, right? And yeah. you're right. If if there are all these Michelin restaurants like and you're... it's at that level that you're saying, like yeah. it is a service. It is. Yeah. Um, to that to that end, uh, as I mentioned earlier, like James Beard has a huge presence in Chicago. You're very yeah. involved. What has that been like seeing it go back after COVID? There was like a lot of shuffling. Um, in the organization for a million different reasons that were probably overdue. Um, you know, what, I mean, what do you feel about organizations like that rather and their place within the dining scape? Do you think they're necessary? Yes. Um, you know, I'm not involved with the James Beard anymore for, um, I was on the journalism uh, awards committee for 10 years. And for the last four years of that, I was the um, chair. So I was, you know, so like I definitely had a big um, role in shaping the award, like what the awards look like today, I think, you know, it's stuff that, you know, I helped work out in the committee. Um, and I'm proud of that work. Um, but the beards are really rethinking it. And they're, you know, they want they want to make sure that they're um, not just uh, rewarding fine dining or trendy jet set dining, but looking at real food that people are eating um, wherever it may come from. And so um, that's a big movement now, I think, in food writing and in um you know, in, in organizations, I like the James Beard Foundation, they're really trying to make it more equitable and get more voices heard. Um, it's been a hard, you know, I think they've galumphed a little bit. It's been a little hard for them to make all the changes they wanted to. And there have been some, you know, moaning. But like, I, I missed the last uh, awards because I was traveling. But, um, you know, it was great. There were just so many, you know, black and brown people being celebrated. And 
and you could just see that that it was like you know the people who attended seemed to enjoy themselves and also like celebrate like i didn't see a lot of people complaining about the winners this year as i have i mean of course atlanta had did not get much as usual so i saw that right locally (laughs) but on a national level i think people felt like they're what whatever they were trying to do that they achieved in some way and again these people are human so i'm sure they're figuring it out right yeah um but but something i did want to talk about just like the industry itself today you know you're you've always been really good at at taking you know a step back and and seeing trends um you know where do you think the restaurant industry in our country because it's so different and others is headed um you know as as you've seen there's been the great resignation you know any restaurateur that i know is having a hard time hiring there's been a huge push especially after the pandemic towards work-life balance mental health you know all of these disruptions in the industry you know, with Batali and 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 and, and everything like right. there's been so many hard resets. You know, where are we today? You know, I asked some 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 developer the other day, what's the future of restaurants? And he said algorithms. You know, what do you think the future of restaurants is? Yeah. Um it is a very tough question because the thing is how do so what we're doing is we're getting rid of that old um system where you take abuse as an underling in the restaurant world to toughen up and then to get to the point where you can give abuse but that's one way to keep a um um you know a team and a keep you know in french you know language um running smoothly and you know i really do believe like the point the main thing for successful restaurants is consistency and i don't i think people overlook that too much and that's why you know for instance if you're a critic i think it's and people know you it's very you know it it does change the experience um where's the restaurant going well okay there's another thread here too which is that the current generation of American chefs all have, you know, intersectional hyphenated identities in one form or another. So they are bringing together the kinds of um, flavors they grew up with, whether it's what their mom cooked from, you know, Cambodia or Bulgaria or wherever it is their parents came from and the kind of foods they loved as a kid growing up in a suburb somewhere outside of some city. Um, I think some of that is, I mean, I'm a little sick of all the, this is the fried chicken sandwich with X, you know, or Y. I think there's a lot of kind of fatty junk food that is being pushed on us as being some sort of great culinary creation when it really ain't all that. But I do think it's also opening up palates a lot to allow more, you know, funky fermented flavors are are entering in and it's a bigger pantry cooks are cooking with. Um, I, you know, I think that's going to continue driving a lot of what we see in restaurants. Um, And I also think there's going to be, you know, there's always that back, like I've been 
you know, doing this for 30 years off and on. And I've seen this back and forth between freshness and simplicity and good technique and, you know, and that, that follows trends. It really does. That is a wave that go. that's hemlines. They go up and they go down, they go up and they go down. And I really think that's true in food. Um, so that's going to be part of it, but you know, the, it's all economics. Are they going to be able to make, you know, are you going to be able to run a, a restaurant where, you know, customers are willing to pay for what it costs to have employees who can lead a real life and, you know, have health care and, you know, make a career out of it. I mean, you know, as a journalist, I'm somebody who didn't earn a huge salary, but could earn earn enough of a salary to have an upper middle class life and health care and 401k and all of that. And so, you know, I didn't do it to get rich. I did it because it was rewarding work. And can you get that out of restaurants? That's, I don't know. I see that. I do think that people are restructuring the way that they operate their restaurants. Like if you see like places like Staple House here, in mm-hmm. Atlanta where, you know, the, they're making it work for their family, you know, they're yeah. open during the day, you know, it's kind of like a larder, you know, a pantry, you can get some stuff to cook or you can eat prepared foods and it's very self-service and there's wine, but like they, it's just wild to see how it started as this super expensive tasting menu and has, I wouldn't say devolved, I would say evolved into a restaurant or a place like it's 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 one of the most magical places in atlanta and it doesn't look like a typical restaurant right or i wonder too like in atlanta i mean it always i've always had the feeling from just being a regular there that everyone loves working at kimball house and i don't know if everyone does but it feels like just knowing those people i feel like they're people who treat their employees right yeah you know and it's important That's a very yeah. important thing. Um, speaking of treating people right, what do you cook for yourself when you want to give yourself some comfort? If you've had a shitty day, you know, what, what are you making for yourself? Um, oh, wow. Um, it would definitely, I mean, I am the, you know, like my comfort food is starch and fat. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So... <laughs> It would be um, like some kind of um, pasta that involves various bottles of Asian sauces and peanut butter, or it could be like rice and eggs um, with stuff like, I know it sounds, if it's like rice and eggs and I've got buckets of arugula growing on my rooftop Mm -hmm. and so with you know arugula and um chili crisp i mean that's very like, much you and you make your own chili crisp too didn't you make your own crisp i did the... for a long time yes, yeah right right well that, that like, sounds like a very john kessler comfort food dish that arugula, is that is crisp. my comfort yeah that is but, um, totally it and arlene wants pizza so we get the pizza <laughs> chicago pizza is good it isn't deep dish it's it's that tavern pie is good I, I like, I like all, I, I will not throw any type of pizza out of bed. Um, no. <laughs> so do you have anything coming up that you want to let listeners know about? How can they find you? Are there any organizations or pieces that you're working on that you're excited about? Sure. I mean, I feel like, um, um, you know, I'm still like, you know, you know, for a long time, I was working on this cookbook with the Giving Kitchen and with the pandemic that just got backburnered and I don't know what's happening with it. It was like, I have this like, you know, 
hundred page long proposal that like our agent said, okay, do these three things that we can try and sell it. And then the pandemic happened and I'm like, fuck that. So, <laughs> um, but they were just here in Chicago. They threw an incredible party here I'm at a, to um, miss it. My husband and, did you got come? COVID. No, my husband oh, got, got COVID. COVID. That's yeah. right. Oh, it was so wonderful. It was so weird because it's it's where I am right now at my this like club and co-working space I belong to for people who are into um, social causes. And this place has been really. Um, but so yeah, I'm doing some work for them. My Most of my work is in Chicago Magazine. Um, I do a little like corporate food writing to earn some money and I'm not going to tell anybody for whom. <laughs> Okay, we all gotta eat. We all gotta eat. We all gotta, but that that shit pays. You got three children. I mean, come on. (laughs) Three daughters. That's expensive. Yeah. Three. That's a lot. (laughs) Well, um, but so Chicago Magazine, um, and are you on the socials of the interwebs? Yeah, I've I've got a website at jdcast.com that I that I have not like looked at for about two years, but I people do find me through it, and I do have some. You know, you know, latest post, <laughs> some <laughs> dumb little thing I wrote two years ago, but um, I, I've got to remember how to actually use WordPress. Um, so and I'm you're on Twitter, Instagram? I, I, yes, I'm on. Um, my social media is definitely Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, Twitter, I'm like not, I just kind of like, Same. I go to Twitter for, for liberal outrage and I... <laughs> You know, for Instagram, I go to um, post pictures of think of cooking, and then Facebook is a little bit more, you know, you know, talking to old colleagues. But I think, yeah. Um, what else? So that's how people find me. Chicago Magazine has a bunch of stuff. Southern Foodways Alliance. I'm always writing for them. I did a big piece for them recently on what's happened to service in the after the, um, you know, so it's SouthernFoodways.org. Oh, look for it. I didn't see that piece. In yeah, gravy? It, was a, it, it was in gravy. It was a Great. really fun piece. And I just I just really looked at, you know, what is happening to service these days and what as a consumer we can, you know, bitch about and what we should understand. So oh, I'll definitely um, look yeah, for it. That's where I am. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, John Kessler. I appreciate your time. Yeah. And it's good to see your okay, face. Yeah, yours too. I, I, I miss our hangs. I miss you. Bye. Bye. Well, that's this week's episode. Thanks for joining me. And thank you to John for his time. Uh, If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, I'll be joined by Chef Cleophis Keithington. Please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your pods so other people can find us. This has been Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds.